Have you ever had a bad day at work? Well, the f- My Work Life podcast is perfect for you. Host J and K share listeners entertaining stories from the workplace, which may have you thinking you don't have it so bad after all. Find f- My Work Life on your favorite podcast platform. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar, a group of my colleagues. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Eric Bedford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills one too. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight. Hello and welcome to the Cult Worthy Podcast. My name is Antonio and this is episode 50. 50 episodes already. I cannot thank you enough for all your support and all your listens. And today I bring you a very special episode as it is the Father's Day Cult Worthy Potluck. I've invited my favorite podcasting dads, Josh from the Talking Smack podcast, and Raphael from the Geeky Dad podcast to share with me their favorite dads across the realms of movies, animation, comics, and television. So without further ado, let's jump into this Father's Day special. And I am here with two very special guests. I've got my friends Josh Scar from the Talking Smack podcast and my friend Raphael from the Geeky Dad podcast, as well as the Geeky Dad After Dark podcast. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Uh, Hope everyone else is doing pretty good, too. I am doing fantastic, and I am glad to be in the presence of these two wonderful dads. And that's why we're here, right? We we talked about this for a while where we wanted to do a Father's Day special from the eyes of three pop culture media geeky dads. You know, my kind of thing is the cult films and obscure films. You two are all about the comic book world, superheroes, animation, movies, and you are my two favorite podcasts in those realms. And I think the reason why I like your guys's podcast so much is because you are dads and you bring that dad brain and that dad mentality to your shows. And I, I need more of that in my life. I need more of that in my show. <laughs> so hopefully I can learn some things from you guys tonight. Yeah. I appreciate you uh, appreciating how tired I am all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you don't look it at all. Not at all. I had a few drinks. I had. An, I was a guest on another podcast. The uh, FM F my work life podcast had me on for something. So had a couple drinks. So I'm feeling pretty good right now. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was drinking martinis with them like at one o'clock in the afternoon the other day for one of their afternoon break episodes, and the rest of the day I was just done. <laughs> oh man, I got to get on that show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not much of a drinker. I don't like beer. Uh, my drink of choice is a gin and tonic. And uh, at home, I make uh, what my buddy CJ from the He-Man Star Fox uh, Twitch channel, uh, he calls it a silver surfer because uh, I don't go out and buy like all the mixings of it. I just I buy 7-Up or Diet 7-Up really because it fit, it fits the flatness of the tonic water. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mix that with the, the gin and I throw in some lemon juice or, or lime juice or a lime. 
and uh, he calls it a silver surfer since it's not a straight gin and tonic. So it fits with the comic book theme of everything. You had to try that. <laughs> Is there a comic book themed cocktail guide out there because if there isn't oh i'm sure there is oh there should be i know there's like a star wars one and a cookbook one but one based off of comic books if if there isn't i say the three of us end this podcast right now and go get working on it we can get kelly from drunk (laughs) theory to join in too yeah yeah let's try that well so listeners what we've decided to do tonight is we have all brought Three of our favorite dads from the world of obscure film, comic books, TV, animation, pretty much that whole realm. There are so many wonderful dads out there, and that's why we could only think of, like, it was hard to think of three. And we each brought three. And at the end, we're going to do our least favorite dad in those realms. And then some honorable mentions. But like I said, this is because we are your dads that are podcasters that have some kind of sentimental dad stories, which I'm sure might pop up in this, in this episode, but mostly I just wanted to be fun and just recognize all the dads out there that are in the real world, but also like our appreciation for the way that dads have been represented and written in media and pop culture that have helped us be better dads. I mean, that's the way I look at it. What about you guys? Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. You know, um, there, there are, are so many different dads to choose from. It was hard to pick three dads. You know, I've been changing up my list like constantly since you've been ta- telling me about this uh, episode. Yeah, growing yeah. up in the TGIF era, uh, there there are so many dads just from TGIF that you could really yeah. pick. All from. of those dads, yeah. Yeah, I kind of dug into my my toy box of older films and obscure films, so there was some variety to it. But I don't know. There's something about dad moments in movies and in films and even in animation. I mean, I bring this up pretty much every episode, but Josh and I had an episode dedicated to the Goofy movie that ended up being like this really heartfelt and emotional episode about about an animated film that wasn't even that popular <laughs> in its day. And it's our number yeah. number one downloaded episode, and it's the episode that people want to talk to me about the most. Because let's face it, dads really aren't represented as well as I feel they should be in certain movies. Like there are a lot of great cinema dads and a lot of great cinema moments, but we don't get to hear about them as much. You know, they're they're usually like just a plot driver and never like the actual real story, which was why it was kind of hard for us to put like a list together, because while there are a lot of great dads out there they don't really carry the movie, but their small amount of time on screen means a lot, especially to people who are dads. Yeah. Yeah. The Goofy movie, actually, I, I have not gotten a chance to show my kids yet. I really do. And I love that episode you guys did. It, it got a, like a, 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 a cult status now, I think, with the 90s kids, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Disney... Disney has like with us, at least with people from my generation, I think you guys are like a little bit older than me, technically like Gen X where I'm millennial or whatever, but yeah, people from like our generation that saw a goofy movie in very formative years, uh, Disney's now latching onto that since we're the target demographic. Uh, <laughs> I sent Antonio, uh, I, Disney is now like doing little things here and there. Like they'll have enamel pins. And uh, I saw a video today where, uh, someone's like, I saw I saw the perfect cast in real life where 
the the character actors at Disneyland were doing uh, as Goofy and Max were doing the perfect cast to eye to eye. And like <laughs> I got tingles a little bit because I'm just like, ah, my childhood. I mean, I, I, I watched the, uh, the Goofy show. Goof Troop. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the movie is so much better than the show, I mm-hmm. think. Goof Troop was made for syndication. So it's just made for yeah. quick little one off fun episodes where you're able to tell like a more cohesive and timely story with the movie. And one of the things that Josh and I talked about in that Goofy movie episode is that there aren't a lot of Disney films made that have a father and son relationship in a storyline like that. It's usually right. a, about someone trying to escape a controlling father or a controlling mother or stepmother. And and this is a film about oh. building a, a father and son relationship. And that's what makes it so special, I think. Yeah. Or well, most of the times the parents are, de- are dead or get killed yeah. or something, you know? Little Mermaid is the first one to have a good dad. Like, a, like he was like a single dad. I should have put him on my list now. I'm going to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he uh, Ariel is obviously the protagonist, but I was just thinking about King Triton. And, uh, like, she, there, there's that moment where Ariel goes, I'm 16, I'm not a child. And my head just explodes every time. Ever since I right. turned, like... Ever since I turned like 23 and I hear that line, I'm just like, no, you're a child. There's something to be said about like good dads or dads who think they have good intentions. Because I, mm. I, I go back to Geppetto. You know, Geppetto at the end of his life creates this boy, this little wooden boy who becomes his son. And the first thing he does is sends him off into the world to go to school without any setup of what the real world is. So Geppetto just in his mind wants to do the right thing for his son and get him educated, get him like knowledgeable of the world, get him on the track of like where a boy would be at his age. But this is literally his first day on planet Earth. And we all know what happens to Pinocchio. So the intentions (laughs) there, but like the the foresight, maybe not so much. And that's why Geppetto's not on my list. (laughs) Yeah, well, I was thinking about the dad from uh, 10 Things I Hate About You as well. Like he ha- he has good intentions. He he wants his kids to be prepared for what the world is, but he's also a little overbearing. He is being a little too crazy with the like if you have sex you're going to get pregnant kind of stuff that we were peddled in the 90s like one time even even with protection it's going to happen. Hold hands it's definitely going to happen all that sort of <laughs> stuff. I mean especially yeah. when you're a single dad of two girls that that for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's tough. You know, I, uh, my daughter started wearing uh, like a training bra right now, and I'm freaking out. Right oh, now. No. Okay. <laughs> Ugh, don't, like, don't even get me thinking about that stuff. I've got maybe four more years before that happens to me. Oh, yeah, man. enjoy them. Well, guys, how about we get started into this? So we're gonna do this round robin style, and we're gonna start with Josh from the Talking Smack podcast bringing his first dad to the list. Josh, who's dad number one on your list of favorite dads? So I'm going to ease us into this uh, little easy discussion. Uh, we're going to go with Bandit Healer from the Bluey cartoon. I am Bluey and I stink like a monkey's butt. I am Bluey and I stink like a monkey's butt. Well, good that we can agree on that then. Time for my morning walk. Time for my morning walk. I like to walk really far. And I like to walk like this, like those guys in the Olympics. Bluey is a wonderful kids cartoon that uh, actually made Rolling Stone's top 100 sitcoms of all time in 2021. Uh, it is uh, Australian, or it's made in Australia from the ABC network. 
uh, published by the BBC. And it centers on um, a little dog named Bluey and her little sister Bingo and the just like the fun that she and her family have. And Bandit is just such a cool dad. He doesn't ever... He, he obviously gets like exasperated. He, it, the one thing that Bluey really does well as a show is it portrays real life circumstances. Like dad's tired. He wants to sit on the couch and read the newspaper or, or watch TV, but then the kids want to come play. And he's just like, Oh no, not this <laughs> game. But then he gets up and he plays the game because the time with the kids is more important than the time relaxing and just unwinding because there is stuff to be said about, unwinding while playing with your kids and building those experiences and those memories. As a great theme song too. <laughs> yes. I mean, it also has something to say about like the expectations and portrayals of dads in TV these days, you know, cause a lot of the dads that we grew up with, if like you watch, if you watch sitcoms from like the fifties and sixties, like leave it to beaver and stuff like that, you know, dad's nine to five comes home right for dinner. The extent of the fatherly connection with the family is mostly at dinner. After that, man, it's like put on your slippers, open the newspaper, smoke your pipe, watch TV while the kids go out and, you know, play ball in the yard or whatever. Like it's such a different world back then yeah. than what we see today. And maybe they play catch one time. Right. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Saturday thing, like in the Sandlot, like once, once a weekend, they'll go out and play the play catch, but yeah, Bandit just, he has heart. And again, he, he is actually relatable even as a cartoon character and as a dog, as a dog uh, too. they yeah. still have a lot of human qualities to him. And it, it just, he, he makes me want to be a better dad, even though I know it's not a sustainable practice with the way the cartoon is set up. Uh, but there are moments where I'm like, what would Bandit do? And I try to, I try to live up to that standard. Oh, I feel you hundred percent, man. Like for me, it's the drive to and from work where I reflect on this time I spent with my kids the day before. And sometimes it is a show like Bluey or a movie where I recognized a moment where a dad went above and beyond. And it's in that 20 minute drive to work where I'm like, I can really be better today. You know, and, and just the way my brain works, it's things like this that we're talking about today that makes me think that. Right, right. I mean, that's the main reason I did my podcast with my kids. You know, it's a way to engage with them and have memories that are always last forever, you know, with them. And your, and so, your rapport is yeah. great. <laughs> the three of you are fantastic. <laughs> I can't do it without them. They're, they're, they're 90% of the show, really. <laughs> So yeah, Bluey, Blue, that's a great pick, Josh. Thank you. Anything else on Bluey before we move on to the next one? Uh, listen to the soundtrack on whatever your music player is if you have a streaming music service because that soundtrack is fire as well. I think there is a Bluey podcast. Yeah, uh, Two Bandits Talking Bluey uh, is really good. I like them a lot. They're not an official Bluey podcast. There is an official Bluey podcast as well. Uh, I haven't listened to them, but uh, two, Blue, two Bandits Talking About Bluey, I, I really enjoy them. One more podcast to add to my list, I guess. <laughs> so, Raphael, who did you bring to the show today for your first dad? Well, Marlon from Finding Nemo. It's okay. Daddy's here. Daddy's got you. <coughs> Daddy. Oh, thank goodness. Dad. I don't hate you. Oh, no, no, no. I'm so sorry, Nemo.
the clownfish. He, you know, he was, uh, I, I, I like dads who have to go on a journey to save their kids. And you'll see a common theme with that on my list. And, uh, you know, he never gave up, kept on going, you know, and uh, that's, that's the type of dad I like to see, you know, he's a hero, I guess, you know, I mean, he's going to do anything in his power to get his kid back. And I like dads that do that. And there, again, yeah. there is something to be said about the Disney trope or something terrible happens to the mom. Like, you know, Disney and Pixar, like, like I, I said in goofy movie episode, they just hate moms. Like things always happen to the mom. <laughs> Marlon hits me particularly close. Um, great pull. If you, if you hadn't pulled that one, that would have been one of mine too. Because they're, they don't come right out and say it, but there definitely is in the undertones that Nemo is a differently abled special child, right. which makes his, his disastrous uh, kidnapping being taken out of his world even more dramatic, especially for the father, because the father has babied him so much since the mother disappeared right. that yeah. the anxiety of like what is happening to Nemo right now would be even greater if his son wasn't differently abled. I, I am a father of a, a child with autism. I have a 12-year-old son who's middle to high-functioning autistic. He has a lot of problems with his speech. He's very intelligent, but communication is his biggest, his biggest opportunity. And it frightens me every day that like, he doesn't know his own phone number and he doesn't know his address as much as I've tried to teach him that. So there are times every day where I feel like I may have a finding Nemo moment and we do everything we can to prevent anything like that from happening. But that movie never really rang with me when I was younger, but ever since I became a dad and especially when we, f we found out that my son was, was with autism that definitely rings with me so true. And it now is one of my favorite Pixar movies because of that. So that is an right. amazing pull for sure. I know a lot of uh, parents with autistic kids really resonate that movie a lot with their household, you know. And uh, I actually had a, a podcast episode um, dedicated to autism. Uh, I had a dad that used uh, comic books as a way to help his son communicate and, and learn better. So, uh, yeah, you just got to find some kind of something that that clicks mm -hmm. and maybe that would uh, trigger something, you know? Yeah. For my son, it's movies 100 percent. It's uh, right. Charlotte's Web, Wizard of Oz, Jurassic Ooh. Park. Mm. You know, Charlotte's Web is where my son learned about death. And so now anytime mm. death comes up in a conversation or if he hears that someone is about to die, whether it's a family member or someone on TV, he starts quoting Charlotte's Web as his coping mechanism because that's how he understands death. And it, mm. it, it is very, it, it's cute, but it's also very heartwarming to think that this medium that I'm in, about obsessed with films and animation and, and obscure movies, I'm able right. to help my son communicate how he's feeling through these films that I've shown him through his life. Uh, it's fascinating sometimes. What well, they can latch on to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Small side tangent, yeah. that song uh, Mother Earth and Father Time from Charlotte's Web just breaks my heart every time, but it's so beautiful. I love that song. Oh, yeah. The Sherman mm. the Sherman Brothers, they really killed it because that's a non-Disney movie with the Sherman Brothers music. That music is fantastic. And I actually have, on a side note, um, an early podcast episode where I make uh, comparisons of Charlotte's Web to Fight Club. 
but that's a different podcast. Mm. You can go back and, and listen to that one later. <laughs> that sounds interesting. <laughs> but yeah, Mar- Marlon is actually, it, it, he is a really great choice. Um, my mind always goes to, um, he's kind of like the next evolution of the dad from 10 Things I Hate About You, where he's overbearing. Right. He's He's trying to protect his kid while also kind of preventing him from growing. And Nemo wants to grow, but he he's just so latched onto the idea of Nemo being a kid that once Nemo is taken, he has to understand that he needs to grow emotionally as well. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the sign of an of uh, a good movie or TV dad is they recognize their own shortcomings and they they evolve to become better. Yeah, Albert Brooks was great as the voice. Oh God, Albert <laughs> Brooks in anything, man, especially yeah. that. Yeah. No, great pull, great yeah. pull. All right. Well, for my first one, I kind of went old school and it may be a little too hard on the nose, but if if I learned anything about being a dad from any movie, it's from Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. There are some things that you're not old enough to understand just yet. There's been some high talk around town to the effect that I shouldn't do much about defending this man. If you shouldn't be defending him, then why are you doing it? For a number of reasons. The main one is that if I didn't, I couldn't hold my head up in town. I couldn't even tell you or Jim not to do something. And that's kind of cheating because, you know, it is based on a novel, but even though I read the novel in in middle school, maybe even elementary school, there's mm-hmm. something about a portrayal by an amazing actor that can bring so much life and warmth to a character. And it's really hard for me to think of a warmer, stronger dad than Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. Especially... When you think about where we are right now in today's political climate, this is a novel that was written 70-something years ago and a film that was made in the 60s that was really talking to these points. And here we are in the 2020s feeling like we haven't progressed any. And to have Mm -hmm. this guy teach his kids about racism and class warfare in the middle of the South back in that time, that same character would be just as relevant now, I feel, today. Maybe even worse, because now we're talking about separation of political ideologies that separates families and causes violence and things like that. It, It really just rings true. That is a timeless story about a timeless message, and Atticus Finch is a timeless vessel of a father to get that message across. That was actually the first black and white movie I ever saw. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that that book was banned in so many schools because it made people feel uncomfortable. I mean, that's the point of the book. Like, you're supposed to grow a conscience after reading it or watching the film. Josh, what's your experience with that movie or that character? (laughs) You're calling me out here um, (laughs) because I was a bad student and never read or saw the movie or read the book. (laughs) Um, I, you got I homework, man. Really big stacker. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, that's that's a gap in in my uh, just general knowledge that I really need to fill. Because yeah, like I, I know the the basic beats of it, and I know that there are 
uh, politicians out there today that are trying to ban this again, again, uh, like, like we're, mm. we're going back mm. in time somehow. And yeah, it's uh, just from like what you guys are talking about. It, it does sound important and I know it is important. Uh, but again, I, I have no, uh, no personal connection to it. Cause again, I I'm a bad student. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, you, that's right. She did write a sequel. Um, I was working at a Barnes and Noble at the time when that came out and I did not read it because a lot of the people that I worked with read it and were disappointed by it. And I didn't yeah, want, I heard, I heard it wasn't good. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want it to sully my, my love and, and appreciation for the original text or that character. So I, I never bothered to, I haven't even like Wikipedia it to see the plot points or anything. Well, wasn't mm. it also like partially finished? Like, uh, Harper Lee never actually finished the book. She had notes and then ghostwriters came in and like, finished it for her after her passing and that's then they just published the book like that. yeah, yeah that's that sounds correct and that's happened like with many different things and they're never as good tolkien has what like 20 extra lord of the rings books based on that yeah and frank I, herbert too i'm not they, even they i'm not even dunes a bunch of dunes after it with his son yeah no yeah. no thank you yeah. i'm <laughs> i got enough on my plate to read in in whatever <laughs> in whatever amount of time I have left on this planet, I don't think those are going to end up making it into my into my library. So, right, right. <laughs> All right, let's jump into round two. Josh, what do you got? Uh, so to follow up with uh, something that I do know a little bit about, <laughs> uh, I have Carl Winslow, uh, kind of following up mm. from To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, the, mainly, the one that sticks to me is the episode where Eddie and Carl have this moment when uh, Eddie's being harassed by it a coworker of Carl's who is also a police officer. Um, and this police officer is racially profiling Eddie, despite the fact that he's the son of a cop, among other things, he's still being racially profiled. And you can, that is such a powerful episode. And Carl's just telling him like, yeah, be angry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to hate the way you feel. It's okay to hate him, but we don't make progress by retaliating. Right. We make progress by being better and doing better and making them realize that they're the problem, not us. I've had enough of this. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not finished with you yet, Evans. Uh, look, Sarge, if your son had just told us he was a cop's kid, it would have been no problem. So what do you say? That you only harass black kids whose parents aren't cops? I didn't say that. You didn't have to say that. Because the point is that you two harassed my son because he's black. <laughs> You can't prove that. But I can file a complaint. And you can believe that I'm going to be sure. Yeah, I remember seeing that right. episode live on TV when that when that happened. Yes. And so did I. Yeah. And, and one of the one of the parts about that that episode, like most of the the formulaic sitcoms at the time is when when Winslow finds out about about Eddie getting in trouble, his first instinct is to is to kind of punish him and 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 talk down to him like, well, yeah, you got busted, this and that, and almost not believe him that he was racially profiled, which, you know, builds the drama. But here's the one thing that, like, I think was really important about that episode to me growing up is I, I was living in small town Utah at the time, a predominantly white culture. I really had no connection to the African-American culture or experience other than what I was seeing on these sitcoms, specifically Family Matters or Hanging with Mr. Cooper or, or things like that. And that episode really rang true to me because it did teach me a lesson in not only racial profiling, but 
by the the police, by the people that we are supposed to look for protection from. And so, yeah, that is an amazing episode and an amazing pull on that one. If Bill Cosby didn't um, get convicted, oh. he would have been on my list. <laughs> yeah, that was, was like just thinking about the ghost in the Mr. room. <laughs> how so bad Mr. Huxtable could, Mr. Huxtable could have been, Dr. Huxtable, I'm sorry, uh, could have been on any of these lists. But yeah, yeah with yeah. Bill Cosby he becoming sullied out. his uh, history there. Yeah, he he's a bad person. Yeah. Carl Winslow for days. Uh, he he is one of my all time favorite TV dads, and uh, he just I, I love the fact that like even with Steve, like he was so annoyed by Steve, he still let him into the house, and he still connected with him every week. And like I know it's the sitcom and uh, syndication formula, but uh, it it's still that I mean the show was on for what like almost ten years, eight nine years. Yeah um well you know it's it's strange that they can do such a serious episode like that on the show and then the next week he's finding a robot double of himself you know (laughs) um Raphael, what you got i also have a tv dad it was a very close call because you know um uh there's so many good tv dads out there uh i I was gonna pick al bundy because that's the closest to my dad in real life it there was but uh yeah he's not not much of a good dad i thought I was going to pick Uncle Phil from The Fresh Prince. Yes. I need him then and I don't need him now. Will. Now, you know what, Uncle Phil? I'm going to get through college without him. I'm going to get a great job without him. I'm going to marry me a beautiful honey and I'm having me a whole bunch of kids. I'm going to be a better father than he ever was. And I sure as hell don't need him for that because ain't a damn thing he could ever teach me about how to love my kids. This guy took in this brat kid, you know, and uh, took him in as his own son, you know. It's, uh, you know, I wouldn't do that. So, you know, he is a better man than me, you know. And remember that episode where, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Fresh Prince's the real dad came back and then left him. And, you know, Will was the, the crying. Why didn't he want me? Yeah, why didn't he want me? You know, that's the one episode I always remember, you know, because it, it was probably the most serious episode of, of the show, I thought. You know, and um, Uncle Phil took him in and hugged him, you know, said, you know, everything's going to be all right, you know, and resonated with me because there was always this back and forth with the two of them. And finally, that was the time that, you know, they actually clicked together as a family, I thought. Yeah. On the show. Yeah. It, yeah. it takes a special, special kind of man uh, to be an adopt, a special kind of person to be an adoptive parent. Um, but especially uh, to be a, an adoptive dad as well. Um, shout out to my brother-in-law, Jeremy. Um, he took in my sister who had three kids from another marriage and just took to them like nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they, they started calling him dad almost the minute they got married. And uh, like, I, he, he is one of my, my heroes because of that. I feel like TV dads have always played a little bit more into the realm of, of, of admirable dads than moms were on TV, you know? Right. And, and I don't know why that is. Um, maybe it was because dads had to work and usually we're getting home just in time for everyone to sit down in front of the TV and watch a show and it helped them feel appreciated in what they did every day, you know, and that right, kind of helps yeah. gain, gain a following that that'd be my guess. I have no confirmation of that, but yeah, mm-hmm. t- TV dads are, are usually the ones that you see, most uh championed and admired and when it comes to like tv moms i mean do you guys remember when murphy brown had a baby 
And yeah, that was a big deal. It was a big deal because she was like a single mom and like Dan Quayle talked poorly about it, but you never really saw anything about single dads. Like look at, look at the Tanner family, you know? And then yeah, true. It was, it was, was, you know, a, a death in the family, but still there was something a little bit more appreciative towards dads than, than moms and TV. And that might be right, something right. I need to look into because it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting uh, topic. When I had Mama D on my show, we talked about this. Like in the 80s, there was my three dads. There was uh, Punky Brewster. She had no mom, right? Yeah. And then, you know, there's also you know, Full House, also no mom. So many shows in the 80s, the moms were gone. You know? Yeah. Oh, and the Hogan family too. Oh yeah, I forgot about Hogan family. I mean, yeah, the yeah. The, the the list goes on and on with the with the sitcoms for sure. I think part of that comes from uh, something that uh, one of my co-hosts Becky on our Futurama episode we were talking about uh, Fry's dad uh, because like a lot of people really connected with the episodes with Fry's dad because. Uh, the way Becky put it is like a mom's love is expected because she's the birther, whereas a dad's love is earned because you have to, he, he has a different mentality and all this sort of stuff. And so like, I think part of that is, is true with what she had to say. Hey there, Cultworthy Podcast listeners. I have an amazing new app for you. It is called Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them aloud to you in a natural human voice, unlike mine. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable all in one place. You can browse articles and topics from which you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling and start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you'd like from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, even the Kardashians. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And they have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries, including mine, the Cult Worthy Podcast. They even have digital radio. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link available in my episode notes. That's C-U-L-T-C-A-S-T to receive one month free premium subscription. Once again, check out Newsly and thank you for listening to the Cult Worthy Podcast. Okay, so for my second pick, I'm going a little bit sci-fi and a little bit cult. I am going with Viggo Mortensen's The Man Character from The Road, directed by John Hillcote. I'll take care of you. And I'll kill anyone who touches you. Because that's my job. Now, there's something about the early to mid-2000s where we were just all about these post-apocalyptic survival films. Films like Children of Men, and the road. You also had um, the Walking Dead coming out at the same time. The the survival stories are always intriguing to me, especially when they deal with the father and son. And to me, mm. there there really is no stronger father and son story of survival and helping your son mature to become a man in a world that even you don't understand, like the road. Have Have you guys seen that film? It's a pretty dark movie. <laughs> really dark. Yeah. 
I, I have seen it once. And again, dating myself back when Netflix was mailing in discs. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, you forgot um, Book of Eli. Come on. Oh, yeah. I was Book about too, to right? mention that one, too. Book yeah. of Eli's in there, too. I mean, we loved that stuff back in the day. I'm surprised that we haven't really seen much of that now in all these uncertain times. I feel we are going to be seeing more very soon with with the way things are going. And it'll probably right, be right. pandemic related. But yeah. Well, also, um, gas short the gas too, you know? It's like Mad Max right Yeah, now. we're going to Mad Max world as well. Vigo Mortensen in that film, I mean, like, we already saw the not only emotional range of him, but also that desire to protect the people that he loves in the Lord of the Rings movie. Like, anybody else in that role yeah. of Aragorn, that movie wouldn't work. To me, that movie is all about Aragorn like he really is like the driving force of that especially in the Helm's Deep scene yeah yeah. I think he's an underrated actor he doesn't get underrated yeah Uh, underrated 100% and he's been around for a long time a lot longer than a lot of people realize yeah but I, I was not a father yet when the road came out and when it did it reminded me a lot of my dad because you know my dad wasn't like a survivalist or or anything like that he wasn't a doomsday prepper but he always taught me these lessons that I didn't think I'd ever need. Like I was never a boy scout, but he taught me how to build a fire or how to find water in the desert. Cause I grew up in the desert. He, he taught me mm-hmm. how to build basic shelters. And one of the first birthday presents I remember getting was he got me one of those Rambo survival knives that when you unscrew uh, the bottom, it had the compass and then it had like, I had that too. Yeah. <laughs> matches and a little saw and uh twine. It had like little basic survival skills. And he told me all the different reasons and purposes for these things. So he had it in his mind because again, like in the early eighties, as I was growing up, we still had this notion that we might be at war with Russia. I mean, red Dawn had come out and right, yeah, yeah. there was a Rocky four, like there was still the cold war going on. So basic survival skills to him were really important. So when I saw the road in the theater, I was like, Oh my God, this is like what my dad would be for me. If we were in this same situation where here's a movie that they do not explain what the cataclysm is that creates the end of the world. All we know is that if you did not have basic survival skills, you were either dead or you were food for yeah. people who knew and didn't care about life anymore. So yeah, dark movie, disturbing movie with disturbing undertones of like the end of humanity. But that father son relationship is just so overwhelmingly deep. It just is something that I even like thinking about it right now. It gives me chills because I, I, I don't know if I could be what my dad was for me. If that happened right now with my son. Yeah, I, I feel yeah. I feel we would probably be food. <laughs> yeah, I don't have those skills at all. I'll be dead. <laughs> yeah, I would I would be food for someone eventually in either universe. I, I am a <laughs> I am not prepared for any post apocalyptic anything. Um, but yeah, like uh, I, as you were talking about that, like I was I was thinking like uh, maybe in in the honorable mentions we can get a little more into it. But like John Krasinski's character in the uh, the quiet place movies like Mm -hmm. is he a good dad or is he a bad dad like there there's give and take there but he he is obviously doing a lot to protect his family but um as far as the road goes i i I have not seen that movie in probably 15 years let's jump into the last round 
of our dads. Josh, who do you got for your round three? Oh, my last one's going to get some people riled up because uh, they're they're going to do hashtag not my Batman. Oh, no. Uh, Batman. <laughs> Batman is a good dad. Hashtag Batman is a good dad. Uh, we were just talking about adoptive fathers. Bruce Wayne, Batman, considers every Robin, every ward he brings in at, to be his child. And he will do what he can to protect them as well as continue his mission. Batman is so protective of Dick Grayson as his son. And it just, it's so good. And then uh, the great, probably the best line to uh, identify that with is um, in the TV show, young justice uh, produced by Greg Wiseman. He he's having a debate with wonder woman where she's chastising him for bringing Robin in Dick Grayson, Robin into the world of crime fighting at the age of nine. And uh, she's like, why did you do that to him? So he would end up like you. And Batman says, no, Robin needed to bring the men who killed his family to justice so that he wouldn't be like me. Mm. Like Batman recognizes his brokenness and he, he does not want that for any of his adoptive children. And it's just, he's a good dad. That's the best. That's, that's all I can say is people think of Batman as like this dark brooding loner. He's not, he, he, yes, he has his mission, but he is not a loner. He has Alfred. He has Batgirl. He has all his Robins. He has Nightwing. He has a whole Bat family, and he is a good dad. He is a good uncle. Whatever family relationship he has with these people, surrogate or not, he biological. Uh, he he is a good dad. Well, I mean, it's just a paternal figure. Yeah, yeah. And, and and again, yeah. the the definition of a dad these days is very very loose. Like there, people keep wanting to put labels on things. If you have a paternal instinct to someone that you are responsible for, you are a dad, in my opinion. Like if there is no right. blood connection, or not right. if you have a paternal instinct to protect and, and raise, you are a dad. And here's 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 something. This might be a hot take. I, I am not a huge fan at all of Batman Forever. In fact, I kind of think it sucks. I like the soundtrack though, Josh. <laughs> but. <laughs> There is something to be said about the the relationship building between Chris O'Donnell and Val Kilmer in that movie where they really do kind of like push the the idea that Robin could because of his hate become a super villain if Batman right, wasn't right. there to channel that energy into being something more constructive. So even if he even if the goal originally was to get this kid off the street he knew that there had to be an intervention, whether it was teaching him combat or detective skills or science or whatever, right. to keep him falling down that path. Do you understand? Yes, I do. Good. Because you got to help me find him. And when we do, I'm the one who kills him. So you're willing to take a life? As long as it's Two-Face. Then it will happen this way. You make the kill. But your pain doesn't die with Harvey, it grows. So you run out into the night to find another face. And another. And another. Until one terrible morning you wake up and realize that revenge has become your whole life. And you won't know why. And uh, Red Hood is a prime example of that, right? Exactly. There's a lot of things uh, 
not to like about Batman Forever, but there's some good things in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we tried to find a good thing. I love how your kids like flip flopped back and forth between liking it and then the Batman better on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> they kept changing their yeah, minds. Yeah. <laughs> um, Raphael, what about you? What's your what's your third pick? I picked uh, Brian Mills from Taking. Okay. Because again, he goes on that journey to find his uh, lost child and does everything he can. Whoever's in his way, he's going to kill, maim, slaughter, to do what he got to do to save his kid. You know, it's either that or Paul Kersey from Death Wish. But <laughs> I didn't pick him because, you know, he has the worst luck. Okay. That is a bad yeah. luck situation. That's a yeah. whole other conversation. Anytime he finds a new family, they get killed. It's like, no, no. Yeah. Just stay single, man. Right. I know. <laughs> okay. So this is my, again, this is my hot take because there, there is something to be said. And I think the taken movies do it very well. There is at least in my opinion, some kind of inequality and mostly it's because of a capitalistic approach to how children are divided in situations of divorce, where you could be an amazing dad, but sometimes dads don't get the opportunity to get their kids in a certain situation when it comes to custody. And I think that film, that's an undertone that isn't discussed or explored a lot because the mom is married to someone with money and she right. she's become right. very flippant in her parenting style and it's her her carelessness and in a sense her her ego and the way she self projects with this new life of wealth that leads her daughter to be taken in the first place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so she is very fortunate that she actually had him as a dad because otherwise yes. it would not be the same situation good luck Good luck. You don't remember me. We spoke on the phone two days ago. I told you I would find you. No, no. Any other dad, that girl's gone. Also, I was going to put John Matrix from Commando. I'm a big <laughs> 80s muscular... Uh, Action hero guy. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Alyssa Milano had her share of, of some good dads because she had John Matrix, and then she had a pretty cool father figure in Tony Danza and Who's the Boss? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay, so for my last one, um, this one's a little bit different. And again, it kind of, I, I think it, in a way, it kind of speaks to the same theme as Carl Winslow that Josh mentioned. My my pick for third favorite dad is Furious Styles, played by Lawrence Fishburne in Boys in the Hood. You know, again, this is this was a lifestyle I knew nothing about. That movie came out in like 91 or 92. I was 11 or 12 when I saw it. And I'd only known about South Central LA from what you would hear in rap albums. You know, that, that's what I knew about. I didn't think about the families behind the people who were living in those neighborhoods every day. And Furious Styles represents to me the struggle to be a dad in that area. And here's one of the things I really think is is interesting again, too. So Cuba Gooding Jr. lives with his mom in a nicer part of town. 
because she's got a good job now. That's why she left furious. But she thinks that he needs more structure to be a man that she can't teach him. So he goes and lives with his dad in South Central Los Angeles, where crime is rampant, where there's gang activity. But it is actually a really good move because Furious knows what the neighborhood has become and why. And this whole conversation he has about the gentrification of that neighborhood and why liquor stores are there and why guns are there, that it's all constructed by the people with power. That was very important to me to learn as a 12-year-old because it started making the rap songs that I heard and the things that you would see in the Mm -hmm. news make sense. Would you two knuckleheads come on? Why don't y'all take a look at that sign up there? See what it says? Cash for your home? You know what that is? What are y'all, Amos and Andy? Are you stepping and he's fetching? I'm talking about the message, what it stands for. It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. To bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything, black. Black-owned with black money. Just like- and that's why I really love his character in that movie, because he is the philosopher of South Central. He is teaching you why. And he's also teaching his son, Trey, what to do to avoid it. But he's also letting him make mistakes. And I think that is an important thing about being a dad is letting letting your kids make mistakes within reason because really like the hardest lessons I ever learned were from mistakes that my dad let me learn. Was this the first um, actual serious role that Lawrence Fishburne had since uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse? (laughs) Well, I mean, he generally he played the bad guy. Like he was, he would play as a, a gang member, drug dealer in King of New York with Christopher Walken. And uh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. played, he played like pimp characters and stuff like that. But I think he was in Death Wish, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, in, he was one of the Death Wish movies as well. <laughs> John Singleton recognized the strength of this, this actor and this performer. And he channeled that strength that would normally make an excellent villain into mm-hmm. a strong father character who kind of has to be a little bit villainous. Like when they, when someone tries to break into their house and he has like the biggest 45 I've ever seen hidden under his pillow, <laughs> like he's ready. He's not afraid to kill somebody if he has to. Yeah. You know, but that's life then. That's life in that neighborhood at that time. I think that was a star making role for him. That's the one that really got him noticed, I think. Josh, you're awfully quiet over there. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> it's another gap in my knowledge. Uh, you're just, you're all just making me feel bad now. But that's why we're having these conversations because th- these are these are dads that we're we're all in the same kind of medium of, of podcasting, and we're bringing dads to the table that I feel more people should be familiar with. You know, there are yeah. oh definitely there are people in the generation behind us who have no idea what Family Matters is. It's worth right, a, it's right. worth a rediscovery, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of like. Um, dads that were black you know the furious was probably the most realistic version that we had ever seen at that time 
you know. I would agree. Uh, before that, it was just, you know, um, Bill Cosby and, uh, you know, uh, Sanford and Son, you know, or <laughs> the dad from Good Times. I forgot his name. <laughs> John Amos. And, and that was actually a, a pretty good dad character as well because it showed that blue collar right. working class a family that a lot of people weren't really aware mm-hmm. that was about furious brought a new tinge that, you know, a lot of people knew were there, but we never saw it, you know? Okay. Yeah. So let's finish it off. This is kind of fun, but I'm, I'm, I have a feeling it might actually be a little bit um emotional too, at the same time, bad dads, the way that things are dramatized in movies and TV shows, like good dads are made extra good, but the ones that I enjoy, the ones that have flaws because real dads have flaws but we've all heard about bad dads in real life. We all know someone who had a bad dad. So I'm curious to see what our idea of a bad dad is from the realms of media and TV and film and, and, and how they reflect to how we perceive bad dads in real life. Josh, you want to start us off with your bad dad? Uh, I'm going with Dr. Leo Marvin from What About Bob, played by Richard Dreyfus. Uh, look, everybody, I'm not wrong often, but when I am, I admit it. I mean it. I would like you all to accept my apology. Well, what about Bob? What about Bob? Yeah, Dad. Don't you think you should apologize to Bob? I will not apologize to Bob. Why not? All right. I'll apologize to Bob. And now I'd like him to go. Uh, we were talking about how like the best dads grow and learn and they evolve and they acknowledge their flaws where Dr. Leo Marvin being a therapist and having all these degrees, he knows what's best and he wants his son uh, who he's named after Sigmund Freud to uh, be just like him, be smart, do things that he doesn't necessarily show interest in, but because he did it, he's going to learn. And uh, he shows very little interest in his daughter's life from what I remember. And uh, again, like any conversation he has with his wife is simply him just justifying him being the way he is towards Bob, where everyone else is just like, give him a chance. Like he seems nice enough. He just needs help. And he's like, I'll help him in the office because that's my job, which he's not wrong. But again, in the circumstance that he is thrust into in the movie, he needs to adapt because Bob's not going away and trying to put up that professional barrier isn't working. So as a therapist, he should have the knowledge and the idea to evolve as well. There's also something to be said about like the ego trap of success, you know, and and usually when we see bad dads in movies, they're either highly successful or they've never achieved success. And it's the ego trap that leads them to being bad dads. You know, usually when we see like a bad dad that's like middle class successful that, you know, never really made it, but also didn't fail, they don't tend to be as bad. If they do, it's like in a darker side that I don't even want to get into. But yeah, I think the ego trap is one of the very first signs of a potential bad dad in a film. And Leo Marvin, for sure, is a key example of that. I didn't see, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I can barely remember it. <laughs> Sorry. That's another, I mean, I've seen it. I just haven't seen it in a while. You know, breaking that movie down, there is like that juxtaposition of the ego and insecurity where Bob is an extremely insecure person with no ego, someone who needs an ego 
And that character represents everything that Leo Marvin lacks when it comes to allowing himself to be embarrassed or foolish or enjoy fried chicken and corn on the cob as much as Bob does in my favorite scene of the film. So yeah, that's a great pull, Josh. Darth Vader, of course. That's mine. <laughs> you got to go to geeky way, right? Yeah. <laughs> Obvious reasons, you know, caused almost, you know, caused the death of his wife, made the kids, you know, separate from each other, cut off his son's hand, you know, it's a pretty, and yeah, I mean, so what if he helped redeem himself at the end, but you know, he went through hell to that family the whole time. So I don't think one time you redeeming can, you know, forgive all the bad stuff he did. Dark, he's he's irredeemable essentially by the time he kills the kids before his the the younglings before even his own children are born. So like he's he's off to yes. a really bad start as a as a father. Unless they some somehow recon that you know. Yeah, and and as sloppy as those screenplays are of the prequels, there is that yeah. there is that Greek tragedy uh, undertones to it of nature versus nurture with him like because do you blame Qui-Gon do you blame Obi-Wan in in Anakin's downfall at the end of the day Anakin mm-hmm. really again we're kind of going to that ego trap where he has always had this this placement in his head that he's better than he really is and deserves more and is more powerful and should have more more control and more leeway and both you know, Obi-Wan and Yoda kind of like try to put him in his place. And then you get this groomer, the emperor to kind of (laughs) feed that ego again, man. Again, like that ego trap is what really causes these bad dads because yeah, here's the other part too, is you really don't get the idea that Anakin knew that he was a father at the end of the prequel trilogy because he assumes that Padme and the kids are dead. I don't know right. enough of my expanded universe to know how he knows that they're alive, but you guys are probably the the ones on that. But again, what does he want to do? He wants to either kill them or get them to join him because that is his ego trap. It's it's like, you know, I don't know uh, how, how you can redeem yourself over one good act after all the bad things you did anyhow. It's the confessions on your deathbed. Uh, ideology, I guess, uh, as long as you acknowledge that you've been a bad person, uh, you, you can be forgiven, I guess. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, the, the idea of Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker being a good person. Um, I mean, there's the dual identity thing you could get into as well, but like Antonio was saying, like, he's always thirsting for more. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well, even if there is an alternate reality where he ends up remaining a jedi because he's he's still going to want more he's still going to want to protect his family in a certain way and he's always going to be afraid so he's going to act more out of that fear than anything yeah right 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 and i think uh, an honorable mention side note is yoda you know because yoda kind of does take point on luke's development towards the end which leads to one of my favorite uh memes i'd ever seen was I want to be a dad just like Yoda who just gets tired of answering questions that he dies and fades away. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that way. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, can you count uh, Obi-Wan as a dad though? Cause he kind of raised Anakin. I would say I there's, there's um, to go off on a nerd tangent here there in the uh, making of the Mandalorian series, 
Dave Filoni talks about the duel of the fates in episode in episode one, where it's called the duel of the fates because if Qui-Gon wins, Qui-Gon takes on that fatherhood role that Anakin has been seeking mm-hmm. and Anakin remains good and follows the path of the Jedi. But because he loses the duel of the fates and the dark side wins, Obi-Wan takes over, but he tries to be more of a brother to Anakin right. than he tries That's to what be a I was father. Bring up, yeah. Yeah, he even yeah. says brother at the end of the, the third one. Maybe he should have been more fatherly. <laughs> Maybe, but he was still a young guy too in that. I don't know. I don't think he was ready for the fatherly role. And let's not forget that in, in uh, Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan is against bringing Anakin in 100%. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. so maybe that we we all kind of hashtag blame Qui Gon on that one, but yeah, there's there there are doubts, and listen to your gut sometimes. I think is the point mm-hmm. of that. For for my bad dad, um, have you two seen the movie Magnolia? Yes. No. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so Paul Thomas Anderson, 1999. It's one of those just vast character dramas, a lot of different characters, right. interwoven stories all in Los Angeles. And one of the stories revolves around this little 10-year-old boy named Stanley Spector, who is an only child who is just a genius. He's a, he's a wunderkind. He knows everything. He just spends his day in the library. He doesn't even go to school anymore. They just let him sit in the library and study because he's already pretty much past school. And he is on a TV show called What Do Kids Know?, where he has like the ongoing record of beating adults with all these trivia questions. Now, his dad, played by Michael Bowen, who also played the uncle in uh, Breaking Bad, the, the white supremacist uncle who kidnaps Jesse, I consider him my least favorite dad because, again, with this ego trap, he is a failed actor, and he is trying to find fame and money by exploiting his son on this TV show and they Mm -hmm. give him many points throughout the film to have like some redemption or some understanding and self-reflection of, Hey, you're being a total dick right now and your son needs you, but it never comes. And there is a point at the end of the movie, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, there's so many endings to this film, but the son runs away and he comes back a day later and he walks up to his dad and he says, dad, you need to be nicer to me. And the dad's response is, Dad? Dad? Dad, you need to be nicer to me. Go to bed. You have to be nicer to me, Dad. It's the two go-to-beds that make me feel he's one of the worst dads in cinema history. I hate that guy. (laughs) And the character, the the actor, Michael Bowen, plays it so well because you hate him, and he does a great job at making you hate him. So that is my vote for for worst dad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I... I thought the other dad was also bad in that movie. Uh, Jason Robards? The, yes, yes. The one that was yeah. the, Tom Cruise's uh, dad, right? Yeah, and the reason why I don't think he gets the vote on that one is because his whole character arc in that movie is redemption. He's looking for redemption. 
It's Mm -hmm. a deathbed redemption and it's way too late, but at least Mm. it's there. This, this other guy has every opportunity to self-reflect and redeem and he chooses not to. Again, it's Mm. that, that ego trap, which I think comes up quite a bit in these conversations of, of good dads versus bad dads. So now that we've gone down with that depressing conversation, let's talk about some honorable <laughs> mentions before we go. Um, Josh, you got any honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple, um, uh, both from comedies from the 90s, uh, one being Daniel Hillard from Mrs. Doubtfire, played by Robin Williams. Um, I think he would probably fall more into the good dad category. Bad partner, but a good dad. Mm, yeah. Um, and yeah. then uh, also Jim's dad from American Pie. He's just oh, yeah. so accepting of everything. Yeah. He mm-hmm. He's like, you're doing your thing. I totally respect it. If you ever have a question, ask me, but I will not shame you for whatever you are doing. Have fun with that pie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've got yeah. honorable mention good dads. I got two. And, and it's interesting because they kind of popped to me a couple days ago. So the one of my list is, have you guys seen Young Guns with Emilio Estevez? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Long time ago. Yeah. So Terrence Stamp is this kind of like uh, cattle ranch owner who brings in these troubled boys, which Lou Diamond Phillips, Kiefer Sullivan, Mm -hmm. Charlie Sheen, and he teaches them life skills. Now, these guys are all crazy and they're killers, but he really teaches them these life skills. But when he is murdered by a rival plantation, all those skills are now used with their craziness and their lust for revenge to, to, you know, revenge is murder. But these kids belonged in jail. These kids belonged to the end of a rope. And this was a guy mm-hmm. that really just kind of took his rough childhood and applied it to teaching them that they had worth. And I've always liked that in a film. Usually they're not dad roles. Usually it's like a drill instructor in the army or like a police captain that gets that guy like, who's just about to fail and wash out to just get in there and, and finish the job. That's why I liked him in that. And then my other honorable mention is Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just, in both versions too, I like the mm-hmm. idea that here is a family living in just dire poverty. And it seems that everyone in the house, including the mom, have just given up on everything And it's the one invalid grandfather who tells Charlie not to give up on his dreams. And when Charlie gets that golden ticket, he brings Grandpa Joe with him to the chocolate factory. You don't really get a dad connection with the real dad in those films. It's with Grandpa Joe. And I've always liked that Mm -hmm. connection because a grandfather can be a father too. And that's why I picked Mm -hmm. that one as my honorable mention dad. Very nice. I like that. Well, you know, back to when Josh was talking about Batman, I always thought that Alfred was a better dad. You know, Alfred is a good dad too. Yeah, yeah. he uh, yeah. he's playing a big role. He's currently dead in the comics. Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, but he's he his presence is playing a big role in uh, in these runs as well because he gifts Dick Grayson billions of dollars, and Dick's like, I I don't believe billionaires should exist because of how I was raised by Bruce and Alfred, and so he's like building a a a youth center to for homeless kids to come and be safe and be away from crime. This was a lot of fun, guys. I am so glad that we got to do this and talk about our favorite dads and there are more out there. So 
Twitter listeners, Facebook followers, Instagram people, let us know who your favorite dads are once this episode drops. It'll be really interesting to see what everyone else out there thinks and if we missed any, but I feel like I got the two perfect guests today to talk about dads in film, TV, comics, animation, and so forth. <laughs> Josh, what do you got coming up on your podcast, buddy? Um, we have our Talking Smackdowns episode coming out, which is going to be our Versus episode. Uh, it's the second one of those we've done. And episode 50 uh, coming up, which is a big one. Uh, we will be doing the Obi-Wan series recap. Mm. Awesome. Raphael, yeah. what about you? Uh, we are going to have the Multiverse Kids uh, describe the prequels in their own words. Mm. Wait until you hear this. <laughs> it's going to be fun. exciting. Yeah. I'm yeah. really excited about that, too. Um, we're yeah. going to have some fun stuff coming up uh, after the Father's Day. We've got some more cult-worthy musical episodes as well as cult-worthy car films where my friend John, mm. who joined me on the G.I. Joe movie episode, is going to talk about his favorite car films because he is a gearhead in real life and he's a shop teacher for Auto Shop. So he's got some good pointers. Well, guys, it was amazing having you on the show today. Thank you so much. And we will all see you next episode. Thank you for joining me. Have a good night. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange it has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar, the group of my colleagues. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Eric Bedford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills with them too. Warriors! Come out to play! And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight.